Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the founder of the anti-social networking app called Fuck Off, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you are listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Orkut Biakukten. He's the founder of the social networking app Hello, which lets users find each other based on their passions and hobbies. Previously, he co-founded a social network named after him, Orkut, which was one of the first, and it's when I met him back in, I think, 2002, when he was at Google. He left Google in March of 2014, and his first social network was shut down later that year. Now we're going to talk about what's next. Orkut, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. I know. And I'm super excited to be here with you. Yeah. So we met each other so long ago. It was, wow, let's think, it's almost 12 years ago or more um, when you were at the sort of cusp of social networking, like right at the beginning. Um, talk a little bit about your background so people could, how you got to Google and what you were doing there or with Orkut. I joined Google in August 2002. Mm-hmm. And I joined a front-end team. I was uh, doing engineering uh, mostly on the search Mm -hmm. and front-facing What were you doing before that? Where were you before that? So I uh, arrived in the stage as a bright-eyed grad student Mm -hmm. at Stanford. And I finished my PhD in computer science. Mm -hmm. And at Stanford, I got really interested in connecting people through technology. Mm -hmm. Why is that? One of the things I noticed was uh, with undergrads, they met most of their friends in their freshman year and to spend the rest of their college life with the same small group of people, mm-hmm. with grad students. Uh, most of their friends were from their research departments, mm-hmm. and it was extremely hard to meet people, even in a small community like Stanford, which mm-hmm. has a human body of 16,000 students. Right. And uh, I wanted to make it a lot easier to meet people and make friends. Mm-hmm. So I created a social network uh, called Club Nexus in year 2000. Mm-hmm. Club Nexus. Club Nexus. Okay. And uh, my thinking was it would be more popular among graduate students since they were the ones who needed the most to connect. But uh, it re-caught on in undergrads. And uh, just within the two weeks, we signed up a third of the undergraduate community. Wow. So w- this was a crude version because no social networks were around at the time. None. I mean, Facebook wasn't. Uh, yeah, that was uh, pre-MySpace and Friendster. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Fre- Pre-Friendster. W- why did you, what, what did it look like? How did people interact with each other? You would uh, create a profile, mm-hmm. and uh, you would invite your friends who would uh, sign up. And it would ha- have a network graph where you could see how people connect and relate to each other. And it had uh, features like messaging, events, uh, what you see today in uh, social networks in general. Sure, sure. It was a very different era, though. Uh, phones at the time were not smart. They weren't. And uh, people didn't even have digital cameras. So to put uh, pictures up of the uh, students, we would set up booths and take digital pictures and upload them ourselves. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. do you remember uh, Six Degrees? There was a whole bunch of companies in this area trying to link people, um, but very crude at the time because of the lack of mobile devices that were adequate. I mean, there was no iPhone. iPhone was many, many years later, which I think that's was the big, the big breaking point for that. So you went to Google and you were working on the front end of search, which was the center of the universe at Google. And? And uh, I want to create a social network that connects everyone on the entire planet, not Mm -hmm. just uh, the Stanford community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I uh, talked to my manager and started working on a 20% project named Eden. Mm -hmm. 
I thought Eden was the perfect uh, name for it since it's a paradise, a wonderful place for people to get together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a 20% project. Uh, we did internal testing inside Google and everyone loved it and said we should just launch it. Because mm -hmm. Google wasn't doing social networking at all at this point. It wasn't anything. It wasn't. They were doing search. And pretty crude search at that, actually, before they got much more sophisticated. Yeah, it was mostly uh, search and image search and news. Yeah, uh, right. And they didn't have any of the others, mail. They didn't have photos. They didn't have things like that. So how did you get so far? Had you just wanted to meet people? Or what was, the, what was your thinking in computer science was happening? My biggest passions in life are people and connecting people through mm -hmm. technology. And uh, if I look at society today, I believe that 99% uh, of us need to connect more. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of interesting with the digital era and these smartphones and how we're all connected all the time. I feel like uh, we are getting unhappier mm -hmm. and more disconnected. Yeah. And uh, we almost like stopped uh, interacting with people in real life. Mm -hmm. uh, when you uh, are at a coffee shop, you know, instead of talking to the barista, you're on your phone. Mm -hmm. If you're in a subway station waiting for your friend, you're on your phone. I even see people at a restaurant who are having dinner, mm -hmm. and they're all looking at their devices. Yeah, we could blame you, Orkut, though. You were one of the first social networking pioneers, right? I, <laughs> I believe that technology should bring us closer together, mm -hmm. uh, not separate Which us. Which Orkut was about. So let's, let's finish yeah. up with Orkut. So you started this, and you started at Google, and it, it, it grew really quickly in some areas. It was a really interesting rollout of what happened. Explain what happened with Orkut and why it wasn't Facebook, essentially. So we launched... a. 10 days named before after uh, Facebook launched. Mm -hmm. And uh, they named it after me. I was the only engineer uh, designer who worked on it. Mm -hmm. And I already had the domain. Yeah. So that was fortunate. And uh, when we launched, uh, the entire system was set up on a single server. It was written with uh, .NET, C Sharp, mm -hmm. Windows SQL Server. And it wasn't written to scale. Mm -hmm. uh, my estimate was that it would handle up to 200,000 users on a single machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was able to handle up to 300,000 users. Mm -hmm. But just within a couple of weeks, uh, we, you know, the demand exceeded our architectural infrastructure. And uh, it almost took a year to be able to scale the system. Mm -hmm. When you have a network that's live, and when you're transitioning to the new uh, infrastructure, it's a tremendous amount of effort. So we had to rewrite everything with uh, Google tools, with uh, Java, C++. And uh, throughout that year, a lot of interesting uh, transitions happened. One was a lot of our US user base left. They were super mm -hmm. active at the beginning. But as soon as we started uh, running into these infrastructure problems, scalability issues, mm -hmm. uh, the servers became less responsive. They yeah. were giving a lot happened of errors. It happened to Friendster in MySpace. It yeah. also happened to Friendster. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, lost most of our US user base. But in countries like uh, Brazil, for instance, it didn't have an effect on the growth. And it could be because uh, they're in a different time zone, mm -hmm. or maybe uh, a lot of them are using mod modems to connect online. And we were able to uh, continue growing uh, exponentially on a lot of uh, countries outside of the US. Uh, like Brazil, mm -hmm. India, Estonia, mm -hmm. Iran. Right. You, you were big in unusual countries. It was really interesting why that was the case. Do you have any, because of those ideas, they were on different times or different technology systems? It's a combination of factors. Uh, the way the site was designed, easy to use. Uh, we had interesting network effects where we met uh, uh, connectors in those countries mm -hmm. that invited all their friends to sign up. Right. And, uh, that a huge impact. You were a huge celebrity in Brazil for a while there, correct? 
Uh, that's right. Are you still? You still are. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go to Brazil and uh, with you. Um, it was interesting because at the time, I remember Google talking about it a lot, and they rolled you out, and you know, Facebook was around also. Mm-hmm. And it, as it developed, Facebook rushed ahead very quickly for lots of reasons. And they, I remember them saying, we're big in Brazil and Estonia. And I was like, really a problem. The U.S. needs to be where you need to be big, which was interesting. What do you think happened in that? And they closed it down a couple of years later after you started it. Do you think you missed an opportunity there with Orchid that it could have iterated? And I mean, because there were others. It wasn't just you. It was Friendster. There was, there was bunches of social networks that didn't take. I think the biggest mistake uh, we did was we did not anticipate the overwhelming demand that uh, Orchid.com mm-hmm. was going to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we launched it, uh, it wasn't ready to scale. Right. And it was uh, extremely difficult to scale a system that was built on uh, Windows architecture. Mm-hmm. We even uh, went to like Redmond and talked to Microsoft, and we were trying to figure out how to make it scale fast, but mm-hmm. it was just... Because people wanted instant reaction. Yeah, practical mm-hmm. or feasible. And uh, as a result, we lost a lot of our initial user base that was super active and uh, like fanatic about it. Right. And we had like Japan, we had US. So once had... they leave, they don't come back. Like that's what was happening. That's what happened. That communities and can destroy very quickly, as quickly as they can grow. That's correct. And that was the biggest mistake uh, we did with Orca.com, not being able to anticipate the overwhelming response we were Interesting. going to get. So when you look at how uh, z- uh, social networks develop, and we're going to get to hello in a second, mm-hmm. how do you look at social networks and how they developed? W- can you talk a little bit about sort of their history and where what they've gone through? Are they similar to when they started? And what trends do you see have been important? You see the first initial signs of social networking and uh, mostly chat messaging apps like ICQ, IRC, mm-hmm. where you have a contact list and you're interacting with your friends. And then uh, the next big wave of social networks actually exposed that friends list, the friend graph, where you could look at anyone and they would have a profile and you would also see mm-hmm. who they're connected to. And if you look at all the social apps out there, they have the same uh, two basic features uh, that make them uh, viable. One is a profile, like the identity of the person. In some cases, that can be anonymous. And the second one is uh, the topology, which could be the following model, friend model, or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. And what do you think has been important for the success of, uh, say, a Facebook? What has been the key part of it from your perspective? Is constantly iterating and adding new products or having a heart, the news feed? What part do you think has been important? Facebook is almost like the GeoCities in the old days. That's right, GeoCities. Everyone uh, was on GeoCities. Who is online has a profile on Facebook, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like the global directory Mm -hmm. and that's where all your high school friends your college friends your neighbors your parents your baristas Mm -hmm. and you know everyone you ever met your entire life is on Facebook Mm -hmm. and that's how you communicate with them it's a great uh, communication platform Mm -hmm. and it's also a great way to broadcast uh, updates to your friends and family Right. And so why is it the only one? Because there were attempts. Uh, You know, Google tried it with Google Plus after you left. Failed badly, I think. I think you could say that pretty clearly. What was the reason why that happened? Why it wasn't a company like Google wasn't able to do that? Facebook has a very core benefit that it provides to its user base. And it also serves as a directory. And uh, in order to be successful in social, you have to be able to offer something that sets you apart or differentiates you. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of like, great examples out there, you know, like LinkedIn for professional use. You mm-hmm. have like Twitter or Instagram that has like the following model. Mm-hmm. Snapchat. 
Snapchat, great for communication. Mm -hmm. And then you have Google Plus, and Google Plus uh, was really popular in uh, a lot of communities, like the photographers who mm -hmm. still uh, are very active on it. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have what it took to be the mass market kind of thing. It wasn't as popular as some of other Google's offerings, like mm -hmm. YouTube, for instance. I also right. see YouTube as like a social uh, yeah, platform. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about Hello and what you've been doing there, because I think it's a really interesting shift from you to what, what you're doing. We're here with Orkut, the famous social media pioneer. We'll be back in a second. I'm here with Recode senior media editor, Peter Kafka. Hey, Peter. Hello, Kara. How you doing? So uh, Code well. Media is February 13th and 14th at the Ritz-Carlton in Dana Point, California. Peter, tell us a bit about the event and who are we going to talk to? So we're going to talk to the smartest people in tech and media who are not you and me. And uh -huh. We want to be there. But in addition to that, well, Mossberg is going to be there, too. It'll be very cool. We're going to have people who are doing really interesting things in media, doing really interesting things in technology and things that are related. For instance, we're going to have Roy Price, who runs video for oh. Amazon. If you watch Transparent or any of those shows, he's the guy doing that. He's the guy trying to take on Netflix. And he is the guy trying to take on traditional pay TV channels like Stars, which is run by Chris Albrecht, who's also going to be there. Wow. He's the guy who made HBO HBO years ago. So he'll be on stage as well. So That's old and new media, there. right? Old and new old media. Old and new and new again. All right. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope to see some of our listeners there. Code Media is February 13th and 14th in Dana Point, California. For all the details and to get your ticket, visit recode.net slash events. We're here with Orkut, who I've known for a very long time. I met him at Google at the turn of the century, essentially, and where he was doing a social network on his 20% time called Orkut. It was one of the first pioneering social networks. Um, it did not survive. There were many of them, but it was really a fascinating time and early time in social networking. And now he's back with Hello, which he's just told me has 17 employees. It's located in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. Um, explain what you're doing now. Explain what Hello is. A lot has happened in the past decade in social, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the interesting things that happened was we actually stopped meeting people and making friends through social apps and yeah. services. And with Hello, we uh, make it really easy to make friends through your passions. Mm -hmm. We believe that passions, they connect you to yourself and people around, around you, and they define you, and it's an amazing way to explore content and meet others who are into the same things that you are. So meaning, why have we stopped meeting people? We just have our own little circle. The same thing you talked about earlier uh, when you were at Stanford, you had your small group of friends. Or you have a bigger group of friends now, but they're often in an echo chamber of your own creation, correct? Correct. If you look at the very popular social apps on Facebook, you mostly interact with people you already know. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Snapchat. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, Instagram, they have a follower model where most of the times you don't know who is following you. Mm -hmm. and there or who they are. Right? Who they are. And uh, there is such a big need to connect that uh, people use apps like Tinder or LinkedIn to make friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at uh, humanity, it's a complex, uh, overconnected network with 7.4 billion individuals. Mm -hmm. And we have such a huge need to connect. And uh, connecting is getting harder and harder even though there's a lot of technology that should enable us to connect easier. And why is that? Why, why do you think that is? I think uh, a lot of it is uh, as a result of uh, social media. If you look at people's feeds or updates, it's mostly uh, representing not who they are, but uh, what they want the world to see in themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of what people post is reactive. It's not actually... Yeah. Uh, ah, that Trump. Ah, like whatever. <laughs> Exactly. 
Sounds and like my life. Anyway, go ahead. What we need is we need to uh, be uh, authentic and genuine with our passions and interests. And that's how we can go down the road of self-love. And uh, when I look at uh, social media today, it's mostly like a highlight reel. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is not that's a really real. Good way of putting it, yeah. I could have two friends who are about to get divorced, but they would post a picture on Facebook where they're having a picnic happily yeah. at a park. Yeah. And I know it's not real. And everyone who's looking at it thinks that it is. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was saying that to someone the other day. They were talking about wedding people have their hands in the air when they get married and someone got divorced rather quickly afterwards. And I was like, you know, look, like you can't know, like you can't know. But it was really, it's very uh, performative. You know, a lot of it is where people are just performing for the for the camera, which is interesting. That's correct. And uh, we uh, create trust within each other by uh, sharing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to be able to share our true selves. And that's how we dissolve the walls uh, between us that separate us. So how us. do you do that if you're so used to the way social media is now, which is performing and showing off and here's my delicious meal and look at the view from here and here's who I'm with, uh, more to impress people. How do you change that behavior pattern? Because it's gotten pretty baked in to the experience in social media or being as clever as possible or mean as possible on Twitter or something else. With Hello, we are uh, creating a new experience. We're making social fun again Mm -hmm. and uh, we are making it more lightweight and interactive. So give me an example. Tell me like, for example, if you like blank. One of the things we have on Hello is uh, what we call personas. Uh, Those Mm -hmm. are passion communities. When you sign up on Hello, you pick five of your biggest passions. So you can pick like techie, yoga lover, foodie, dog lover. Mm-hmm. And then we customize the entire experience around it. So you get to meet people or interact with people who are also into the same things as you are. Mm-hmm. And we also reflect uh, a lot of real life uh, interactions and bake it into Hello. For instance, uh, a lot of times uh, when you see a stranger, you have a very simple gesture like a wink or a smile. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are able to replicate that on Hello with uh, a micro uh, emoji videos mm-hmm. we call expressions. Mm-hmm. So you can have a, a very simple interaction where you wave hello to someone or where you smile at them. And that uh, starts a conversation very easily and organically. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also uh, recommend people that you should meet mm-hmm. uh, based on your passions, your locality, and also your personality. So we are making it very easy and fun to interact with people. To meet new people. Meet people and interact with people. And how how successful has that been? Because again, people are uh, doing social media a certain way and they become used to the way social media is. What is the reaction to that idea? Uh, We've been able to validate that our premise is working Mm -hmm. and uh, our community has been just amazing. they might make fun of themselves and mm-hmm. each other, and they're very authentic in their interactions. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, popular among the groups? I mean, is there, are there certain things that rise to the surface versus? Uh, definitely. Uh, if you look at like the most popular communities, I would probably say it's like uh, foodies, mm-hmm. traveler, and cat lovers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and combining those creates a real person. <laughs> that- and it's it's really easy to like reach out to people. Uh, for instance, if you are a sci-fi fan, and if you're a movie fan, and if the latest sci-fi movie comes out, that gives a venue an opportunity to uh, reach out to someone, interact, and talk to them. Talk to them about it, about it. So how big do you imagine something like this would get? Again, because they already are, the people are inundated with social networks right now, and they have way too many 
you know, you feel like you're constantly updating. There was a great article in The Atlantic uh, this month about sort of how social media has become weaponized, which we'll talk about next, and more about how it becomes addictive to the point of, you know, you're reacting like a mouse in a, in a, in a chamber and some of the likes and everything and the colors are all destined to try to get you to just continue to stay on this, this wheel, essentially. I believe that uh, connecting is not about how many likes you have or right. how many friends or but followers you have it, right? online, and people yeah. are so used to it. And there's so much uh, depression and anxiety that's linked into social media usage today. Mm-hmm. Look at our uh, community very closely. We look at qualitative and quantitative feedback. Mm-hmm. And we, when we talk to our users, when we ask them, what do you think about Hello? Mm-hmm. There are like three things they tell that's very interesting. One thing is they say it's a happy place. Mm-hmm which is very unusual. A lot of mm-hmm. social apps, when you go there, it doesn't make you happy. Anxiety, yeah. It creates anxiety. They say they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on human-focused design. Some people call it gamification. We have mm-hmm. a lot of elements that you see in a traditional video gaming that makes the experience a lot more fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also, our users also say that uh, they actually meet people who share the same things uh, or passions that they have. Mm-hmm. So do you, um, are you popular in any countries or are there, there are certain areas, again, where you're more popular than other places? We are on the Apple Play Store mm-hmm. and uh, Google App Store mm-hmm. in uh, May. Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't done any press in the U.S., but we launched in uh, Brazil in July. Mm-hmm. And we got an overwhelming response. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we are getting ready to launch in India, and uh, we are focusing on international wow. launches Why first. Why is that? Why is that? There are a couple of like, reasons. Uh, we were able to uh, iterate uh, quite a bit uh, on the app before we went to like a larger market, and uh, we had around uh, five thousand users in a closed beta. We were able to iterate mm-hmm. and get a lot of uh, feedback from our user base, and then uh, the next uh, big step is a larger community. And uh, we thought Brazil was a great market uh, because of uh, their history of social network usage and patterns. You know, they're early adopters, Mm -hmm. they're super friendly, they like uh, trying out new products, and Mm -hmm. they're uh, hyper-connected. So we uh, launched in Brazil, and uh, that way we were able to uh, test the system on a much larger scale and Mm -hmm. also get a lot of uh, very useful feedback Mm -hmm. and iterate on it. And then you'll move to India? And then our next goal is to move to India, which because? it's even like a larger uh, community. If you look at Brazil, they have, let's say, 30 million uh, mobile users. If you go to India, the number goes up to 400 million. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really important to be able to uh, test the product, also like the technology infrastructure architecture with like it. larger and larger uh, communities. So why not the U.S.? Is it like Amazon, when you're a commerce person trying out here, Amazon's just in your way? Same thing with Facebook here? Is that why the U.S. is difficult? U.S. is a harder market because uh, there are so many social apps out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to make the app perfect used. by iterating yeah. and uh, having it used mm-hmm. uh, in like different markets before we come to the U.S. I see. And then, but but in an international program is really interesting. Most people don't do that. They start here and then move outwards. Um, so, will you go to other places around the globe before you come here? We haven't thought that far yet. Our next goal is to launch in India, and, and uh, we are starting with a, a beta program in. December this month, and mm-hmm. then we're hoping to launch in January. And then you'll see how you do there and then move on to another country. That's correct. What other countries are known as friendly early adopters of social networks? 
China's uh, tough. You're not going to go there. A lot of uh, European countries mm -hmm. are super friendly. Mm -hmm. And uh, d definitely Brazil, uh, India, Turkey. Turkey. They have all very heavy like social network usage. Right. Well, Turkey's an interesting issue right now because of the crackdowns on, on social networks, which is interesting. All right, when we get back, we're talking to Orkut about his new social network, relatively new social network, Hello. He started Orkut for Google many, many years ago. He was one of the social media pioneers. When we get back, we're going to talk to him about where social media is going and its detrimental effects on society because this year has been the year of social media being weaponized, some people think. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. This week we talked to Dan Roth. He's the executive editor of LinkedIn, which makes him one of the most important people in the media business because he controls what many, many, many people who use LinkedIn see and read every day. Um, we talked about how he got there, how he used to be an actual journalist, um, both at Wired Magazine and Fortune. One year he even worked with me, lowly Peter Kafka. But luckily things have gotten better for him. You can find Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're talking to Orkut, who started Orkut at Google a long time ago and was one of social media's pioneers. He now has a company called Hello, which links you via your passions in a social app. Let's talk a little bit about what's happened to social media, because, you know, lately, since, especially with this election, there's been a lot of uh, heat around the idea that social networks maybe aren't so good. And they've had detrimental effects. One issue was around fake news. The other is about being in echo chambers. The other is about producing uh, anxiety. It creates anxiety within people. How do you look at that? What do you, let's talk about fake news, first of all. How do you, you know, you had a network where people were trading information and things like that. And a lot of these social networks, especially Facebook, try not to take responsibility for what happens there. Um, how do you look at that at, when you run a social network? With uh, all social networks, if you arrive at a large scale, spam abuse becomes a big problem. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you do is you start to fight it back with not uh, a big customer support base, but with intelligent algorithms mm -hmm. uh, and machine learning and AI to figure out what's real, what's not. Mm -hmm. And uh, with uh, social media, uh, a lot of times things are almost over-engineered. Mm -hmm. Meaning? What does that mean? That's interesting. Where there is uh, so much happening on the technology side that we lose the human aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you would uh, get a feed created out of news items, and you don't actually know how those items got there because it's an algorithm or a program that generates that feed, not mm -hmm. actual humans curating it. Right, right, which Facebook just removed those from the system there because they got pushback from conservatives that it shouldn't be done by hand which many people think is wrong. It should be done by hand because they can pull out fake news a lot quicker than the algorithm can or the technology can. So what do you, what do, you do about something like that where fake news, because it creates a cesspool effect, I think, in lots of these social networks. I think the best solutions include a combination of uh, machine algorithms and humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's always good to have uh, humans in place that double-check things that uh, bubble up to the surface mm -hmm. before they get uh, prorogated to a massive audience. Why don't technology companies want to do this? There's two things they don't want to do. One is rely on humans. Uh, the second is uh, take responsibility for the problems that it creates. They like to say they're a platform, that they're not an editorial platform, they're not a media company, and yet they are indeed a media. It is a media company of a different sort. I think it is. When you're not an editorial company, uh, hiring 
support uh, cannot scale really well, especially if you have you know a billion users, mm-hmm. and you start uh, relying more on uh, technology and uh, like machines to do that work for you. Is that a good thing? Depends on how well you execute it. Mm-hmm. But as I uh, said, I think the best solutions include a combination of machines and humans. So if you, right now you were in Facebook's shoes and you had fake news all over the place, what would you be doing? Would you think it would be your responsibility to do something about it? Or just say, hey, it's a gray area, we don't know, it's hard? I can tell that with hello, if something goes wrong, we take full responsibility about it mm-hmm. and we communicate it to our community. Right. And do you consider yourself a media company? Would you call yourself a media company? No. We are a social network. Social network platform. Platform. Even though there's so much media in social media. That's correct. You're, but you're not a media company. No, you're not. <laughs> you None know, of you want to take responsibility. How do you look at a company like Twitter right now? Like where things are going? What, what do you think their issues are? Twitter is... Interesting. With Twitter, I always see like two types of people who like to post on Twitter. Mm-hmm. One is uh, the me, me, me type of person mm-hmm. who is constantly posting about themselves. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have the people that share what's out there and popular or trending at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has a really interesting t- uh, topology where uh, your feed uh, consists of people you are following, mm-hmm. which uh, most of the time are not necessarily your friends or mm-hmm. uh, people you know. Right, people you find interesting. And uh, Twitter is a great outlet to get uh, immediate responses mm-hmm. and updates for live events. Right. And do you, where do you imagine it going? What happening to something like Twitter? You obviously have been in some distress. As you mentioned earlier, uh, what is Twitter? Is it a social media company or mm-hmm. is it a social network? I don't and know. I think that's you a big, big question, yeah. you know. What do you think? He's I, speechless. I, <laughs> I would say it's more of a social media company where the content is created by users. Uh-huh. Okay. So when you look at something like Snapchat, how do you see that trend coming? Because that's a more controlled trend. There's more, it, 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 they pick and choose who's on it from a media perspective and creates a more controlled environment for its users and something where they can express themselves between and among themselves. I see Snapchat more like a communication platform. Mm-hmm. That's how teenagers communicate, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in the movie line getting tickets, you get the Snapchat of the person in front of you and you start uh, snapping with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most common use case is uh, communicating with Communicating. Yeah. So you don't think it's a social network or is it a... It is a social network, but it's uh, mostly used to communicate with people, mm-hmm. you know. Do you like it? Yes, I like it. You like it. You yeah. like. It. And what about uh, stuff in China? Things that are going on there because that they have an explosion and all the different WeChat and everything. There's so many different social networks there. How do? What do you see happening there? That's interesting. China is interesting because they are uh, early adopters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are. It has a huge massive market and uh, it has tons of devices that are all connected, and uh, people love to share and the types of things that they share and the way they use social media apps is actually very different than we do here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some features that might be popular in China would get no adoption. Such as? For instance, uh, stickers. Mm -hmm. Like stickers are really popular in uh, communication messaging apps. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the U.S. market base, uh, the consumers don't care about stickers. Yeah, they like emojis. They like GIFs. Right. But not so much stickers. It is true. It's much bigger there. Um, and then lastly, let's talk a little bit about the idea of harassment, because one of the things that y- you didn't really have to deal with at ORCID at the beginning was this idea of people 
creating these cesspools, creating, we, we recently had the CEO of Reddit on, obviously they have big issues around that. Ob- Facebook now with this fake news and, and bullying has mm-hmm. issues, and obviously Twitter is plagued by it. How do you look at that phenomena? And, and how do you, what do you do about it? What would you do? If, what, do what do you think? Obviously, I don't think that would happen on your platform because people are talking about food or travel or whatever they're interested in. It doesn't seem like a place where people will start arguing with each other. Online networks reflect and mirror just real-life networks. And if you look at society, there are good people and bad people. And with any social network or platform out there, you're going to get users who are going to harass and abuse and spam the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And there's a much bigger problem in networks where you have uh, anonymity. Mm-hmm. And uh, with apps like or services like Facebook or Hello, that's like harder to do because people, mm-hmm. when they create accounts, they it's actually who they are. Who they are. Yeah. And uh, you can also validate people by looking at their friend network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do you? What would you do about it? What What do you think? Is it something that you think is a problem, or is just a passing thing? Because we're into politics right now. You've got Donald Trump tweeting up a storm, and it's all ugly. Much of it's ugly. What's the solution to it? It's a problem on every network, and it's important to have the necessary tools in order to uh, fight spam and abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's not a solution that can scale with support. So you want to count on your community to moderate and help uh, with mm-hmm. policing of the content. Is there an AI solution to this? There are AI solutions, but the uh, major problem is uh, when they come up with uh, false negatives. False negatives, it's uh, their positives. favorite word of yeah. all you techies. False negative, meaning it's not, they pull the wrong thing. You would rather have uh, humans uh, report abuse right. and spam than right. uh, algorithms try to figure out by themselves. Yes, yeah, so allegedly, allegedly, though I think they're smarter than they let on. Lastly, let's talk a little bit about what it takes to be an entrepreneur now. I ask everyone I talk to, um, what's a mistake you've made that you'd like to fix? Like if you could go back and fix it, or what did you learn from it as you've been an entrepreneur? Like you've gone, I should have done it this way. And what's something that's actually been really positive for you? It's kind of funny you asked that question, because uh, I feel like I repeated the same mistake twice. Okay. And uh, I think when you fail, you don't fail as long as you learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, with Orchid.com, something interesting happened where uh, our uh, estimates for growth were uh, not correct. Mm-hmm. And we, we got like so much demand like, right away as soon as we launched. And with Brazil, uh, we had a lot of like forecasts and anticipation about uh, how fast we would grow, mm-hmm. but uh, we were wrong with our mm-hmm. estimates. And uh, as soon as we launched in Brazil, uh, we exploded, and we didn't even have any PR. It was a quiet launch, and what right. happened was just with word of mouth. Uh, so you weren't ready for we, it. We didn't expect to get so much mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, fan base uh, mm-hmm. right away, and uh, we even got. Uh, published on the uh, App Store Mm -hmm. the same day when we launched. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our service fell over for two weeks where Mm -hmm. we were busy uh, trying to fix our infrastructure architecture uh, issues. And luckily, it took us only two weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Orkut.com, it took us an entire year. Oh, so you just sat there. Yes. So you aren't anticipating your growth correctly? Is that what you're saying? That, that's correct. We didn't anticipate to get so many users signing up. Although what if you're in a situation time. where you think more people will come and then they don't? Like, Because that's a, the opposite problem. No, it's like entrepreneurships and launching new products. They always tell you, 
you should not uh, over engineer, over scale in the uh, architect at, and you should launch when you're mm -hmm. ready. And uh, we thought we were ready, but we weren't expecting so much like, traffic and demand. Right, right. And uh, it's kind of scary going to India because it has a mobile user base that's 10 times as much. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we get it right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess I, I learned from my mistake uh, by not building it on a Windows platform, but on like a more... <laughs> I don't think anyone's doing that. <laughs> on the cloud with like a more you know, scalable infrastructure architecture. Right. But still, uh, we didn't do a good job at estimating the demand. Okay, last, and the very last question, if you were to imagine any social network of the future, is it a VR network? Is it, if you would just think way out like crazy, where is social networking going? Or are people gonna drop their phones and start actually talking to each other? In an ideal... Uh, scenario i would like to be able to walk in to a coffee shop or a bar and mm -hmm. you know my smart device whether it's my earrings or my watch or my phone or my belt mm -hmm. or tells glasses. me my glasses uh these are the people that you should meet mm -hmm. and interact with mm -hmm. and it would just tell you it's just tell me tell you their history or what the, why why you should and stuff like that definitely I think uh, the search for finding people that understands us is the biggest problem that's even more important than the most advanced questions astrophysics. Uh -huh. Because the uh, desire for companionship is what gets us up in the morning mm -hmm. and through the hum of the days. Right. And we all need to connect. And connecting is really easy mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, and sometimes it's extremely hard. Yeah. And I think we can use the technology we have to make it a lot easier to mm -hmm. connect and relate. Right. So you would like something in your belt? That was interesting. Like it just in it, just a, a camera, I'm guessing, in your belt so you could see people. I, I think magical things happen when you say hello and when two people connect. And I think like technology and social networks in the future should enable us. All right. That's an excellent way to end. Uh, Orchid, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming by. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Foursquare executives Dennis Crowley and Jeff Gluck, Mr. Robot creator Sam Ismail, and outgoing Secretary of Commerce Penny Pritzker, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.